To d- discuss today's headlines, I'm joined by Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent, who is in the studio with me freshly back from the G7 in Hiroshima. Welcome back to Hong Kong, Barry. Great to be here, Stephen. Thank you. And we're delighted to have you with us in the studio today. I'm also joined by Stuart Aldcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Good morning, Stuart. How's your day so far? Good morning, Barry. Lovely to have you on the show. Let's kick off with Barry, because I'm really keen to hear your key learnings from the G7. Now you've had time to reflect and the benefit of hindsight. What were your key learnings? Two things. One, Ukraine. Complete Mm -hmm. unanimity among these countries about... uh, going after the Russians. So that was a surprise. And of course, President Zelensky from Ukraine came to Hiroshima. That was a dramatic entry. So he dominated the meeting. That's number one. And of course, they tightened the sanctions against Russia. And then they agreed to train pilots and provide advanced military aircraft. Second is China. It was a very tough statement that the leaders issued against China, complaining about uh, intellectual property, complaining about treatment of minorities, the South China Sea, threats to Taiwan, disruption of the global economy, all of that, which, of course, provoked a pretty strong response from Beijing. But those are my two takeaways. These seven countries... Nine people, because two additional people from the European Commission and the European Council were there. So these nine people sitting around a round table really agreed on those two matters, and everything else was subsidiary to that. So you're seeing the tensions between the G7 and China getting worse? Yes. Now, it's interesting. President Biden, just before he left to return to those debt talks you spoke about, had a press conference, and he said... We look forward to a thaw. Something is going to develop in the next while that will ameliorate the tension between Washington and Beijing. Apparently, he's referring to the Americans not saying much about that spy balloon of some time ago, which the Chinese like, apparently, that they played it down. And secondly, there may be communication that a lower level among ministers or deputy ministers on various subjects. So time will tell if Mr. Biden's got that right or if this kind of freeze or certainly continued tension is going to persist. Yeah, sounds like it could go either way. What are your thoughts on that, Stuart? And any uh, learnings that you'd like to add to barriers from the G7? Um, Yeah, I think part of the problem with G7 is that it's supposed to represent the wealthiest nations in in the world, and of course two of the wealthiest are not actually around the table, China and India. Um, And uh, although um, India did join later on, it wasn't a part of the original table set. Um, I think part of one of the other issues is that these um, meetings never really come up with a final decision and don't make momentous changes. And uh, that's probably where we will continue to be disappointed by them in future meetings. But at least with uh, only seven round the table, or nine as Barry has described, um, it's possibly easier to, for everyone to have their say rather than having 20, 50, 100, whatever number might be for other, other of these types of meetings. 
Yeah, that's right. Probably seven or nine, as we say, is a, a good number to have a robust discussion. Um, Stuart, it looks like investors in Japan are starting to get spooked. Do you think the party is over for Japanese stocks after doing so well for so long? Uh, no, I don't think it's over. I think it's time for a reflection. Um, uh, this is certainly a fair bit of profit-taking available. Uh, bear in mind that over the last year, both the market and the currency have moved quite sharply upwards, and that means that a lot of people have made quite a lot of money out of it. But the fact is that we're still uh, only just... Um, getting to new highs after 30-odd years of, um, of, of maybe decline. The uh, Japanese market looks as though it's going quite well. The yield curve has, um, has been changed. And, and um, institutional investors in particular um, are looking at Japan very positively indeed and, and, and getting their holdings in Japan up to market weighting, which it hasn't been for a very long time. Your thoughts on that, Barry? Oh, well, look, first of all, I'm delighted that uh, Stuart has identified the Indians as one of the richest countries. Um, Indian listeners will be delighted to hear that. Uh, but I agree with you, Stuart. They oh, should good. be around Thank the you. table. Um, it's just that um, it's very difficult for leaders to get things done. You know, they have these set-piece notebooks in front of them. They have to press a button to be recognized by others. It's not an Oxford tutorial. It's not freewheeling discussions. Now, that's a lot better than it would be with, say, 20 or 30. And if you look then at the G20, where the Americans and Europeans are hostile to Russia, they don't even want to be in the same room with the Russians. So that doesn't augur well for the summit that's coming up, G20, hosted by India. But nonetheless, I think that... Um, Japanese market, obviously coming back. I think Mr. Kishida has left Hiroshima feeling very good. I see there's talk of an election coming in Japan because times are not only improving, but he's given high marks for his handling of the G7 summit. So you think they'll keep the same prime minister if there's an election? Well, that's way beyond my <laughs> knowledge base, but uh, I think he's done very well mm. in his time in office. Okay, thanks for that. Let's move on to the debt ceiling. We can't have a discussion today without talking about that. And there's still no positive news on the debt ceiling being agreed. And the 1st of June is approaching scarily quickly. Not sure if you guys are betting men, but I'd love to get the odds that you'd set for this being resolved by the deadline. Barry? Ah, I was hoping you were going to say, Stuart, you go first. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll, um, I'll say this. This is a joke, and it would be a bad joke were it not for the implications that you've mentioned, Stephen. Yeah. That's, that's real. But this is an artificial deadline. This is a political fight between Democrats and Republicans looking ahead to the 2024 election. And good heavens, let's hope they have an agreement. But you're all actually, actually, Barry, isn't the bigger problem. It's not the 1st of June, which is the so-called deadline, but they really need to have uh, uh, the whole thing agreed two or three days beforehand because it has to go through the Senate and the House for final approval. Well, you're right, Stuart. That's right. This, um, I, I'm, I'm probably too cynical on this matter. But, no, uh, really? It's, <laughs> it's a very important issue, but it's just a sad reality that the American system seems to devolve to the 
this mm. kind of, uh, well, what shall we say, impasse. Politicking. Yes. It's just pure and simple politicking. And as, as we said last week, it was, uh, uh, and part of it is probably a, a practice run for next year, which will be a presidential election year, where the Republicans will probably want to be even more difficult. Mm. That doesn't bode well. No. But I'm not going to pin either of you down to giving me any odds. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> not betting men? Not betting men. Okay. Um, Stuart, you heard in the headlines about activist shareholders disrupting Shell's annual meeting calling yeah. for climate change. Do you yeah. think there could be similar activism coming to Asia for climate change or even other causes? No. Um, th this is not a big issue in, in the Asia markets, Hong Kong or Singapore or, or, or China, really. Um, this is a big issue in Europe, and it's becoming a bigger issue in the United States. But uh, certainly in the UK, where the annual meeting for Shell was held, and there were a handful of activist shareholders trying to disrupt the meeting and, and calling out Shell for being the cause of climate change. And, and you probably expect to have similar things for other oil companies as well. Um, but it's just, um, it, it's very much a European thing at the moment. And, and indeed, it, people in Asia are not that way inclined, frankly. Okay. But Barry, don't you see that things kind of come to Asia at some stage, just a bit later? What are your thoughts on well, it? Well, that's right, Stephen. And, and it, we live in a global economy. However, I think the climate activists have grossly overplayed their hand. I mean, this business of pouring black paint into the Trevi Fountain in Rome. This is over the top. And the same thing happens increasingly in North America. I hope it doesn't come to Asia. Yeah, you could have people sticking themselves to the studio with super glue or something. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't want that. OK, let's move on now to the news that the IMF expects the UK to avoid recession. What do you think are the biggest challenges right now on the road to the UK's recovery? Let's kick off with Barry. What are your thoughts? Ah, well, I'm going to defer to the very erudite Mr. Allcroft, but I will say this. Agreeing with Stuart... The IMF has been too pessimistic about too many countries, and so they've been seeing a recession for quite some time, and it hasn't arrived. Presumably, it may. However, I'm delighted for the British people that they're not in recession. Uh, thanks, Barry. Um, it is the case. I think that the IMF are perpetually negative, um, more pessimistic than necessary. And, and what was interesting in the announcement they made yesterday, which was alongside the Bank of England also making a similar sort of statement, was that, how difficult they found it to be trying to forecast for the current um, economic climate that we are all in. Of course, um, how does the UK go forward? Well, clearly, it needs to see inflation come down. The government um, is aiming to have inflation halve during the course of the current year, so bringing it down to under 5%. Uh, today is the announcement of the latest inflation numbers, and the hope is that it will come down from a little over 10% to somewhere in the around 8% figure. But if it doesn't, then that could be a harbinger of some problems as we go forward. But clearly, um, the biggest issue has been energy prices, and energy prices have come down quite sharply. But now uh, the government, the Bank of England and the IMF, to some extent, are highlighting that food prices in the UK have probably been the major cause of, of 
um, in, uh, inflation and therefore um, they need action to be taken on food prices if at all possible and and uh, a reduction in energy prices will be a help for that too yeah sadly all my friends in the uk are continually complaining about food prices there but it sounds like watch this space for the important announcement of the figures coming from the uk yes, today yes later today okay so, um, thank you to both of our guests, Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, and Stuart Oldcraft. Oldcraft, sorry, Stuart, Asian yeah. Fund Management Industry Consultant. Pleasure to have you.